Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is geek. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. Welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian Mr. Todd A. Davis. Appalachian-based teacher and practitioner of the visual arts. And yes, he did design a new t-shirt for us. It's Sensei Ha! Yay! Sensei Ha! <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Oh, well. How are you feeling? Oh, man. I am just so pumped everything is uh everything is going so well and i'm so excited to talk to you we actually first connected a couple months ago it was before the holidays wasn't it It was before the holidays yes yeah so yes. it's been it's been a while since Absolutely. we've uh since we've talked uh how have how have you been how are your holidays how's your how's your 2023 going so far um huh been well it's always getting better it's like i always like to put um holidays pretty good celebrate with the family so definitely happy about that everybody is healthy and well um been kind of on a tear doing more art and just enjoying teaching on top of it so it's pretty much yeah straightforward love it yeah that's great um so i always ask folks when they come on and they have a very specific thing that they do Mm -hmm. uh you of course mentioned uh your deep love for star trek Yes. Um, and of course, your phenomenal art that you uh, sent us with oh, uh, for, sure. for our T-shirt, it, dude. It's it's great. I love it. I love it. Um, Thank you. So let me ask you, what came first for you, creating art or Star Trek? Oh, Star Trek. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes, that's the. I'm talking seared in the brain. Uh, one of the earliest um, memories I have. I know for a fact. I was born in '79, but. I don't know if you remember back then, movies used to run a long time in the theaters. Oh, yeah. I know I remember seeing the Enterprise from um, the motion picture on the screen. Oh. Or maybe maybe they took me as a baby to some rewatch, but I remember that thing very vividly. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a pretty iconic image. And yeah, it's something about it. You you never forget the Enterprise, for sure. I And, and then after that, I was told for like at least the first five years of my life that, yes, we don't really fly in those. It's <laughs> still make-believe, but we'll get there. I'm like, man, we'll go to space. <laughs> you know, we're getting closer and closer every day. Uh, yes, we are. Yes, we are. I, I thought I saw something on online the other day that NASA had developed some sort of ion engine or proton engine or something about that. Did I, you see that? Yes, I did. I don't remember the details. I have been yeah. hearing this rumor for like the last 20 years anyway, yeah. but... Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. We can get, I don't know, at least was it from like here to Mars in a, in a couple months rather than a year and a half or some nonsense? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I Even think, the sublight speed, that, that's perfect. Yeah, because I recall hearing that there was such a thing as a pulse, and this was a long time ago, that there was such a thing as a pulse engine or an impulse engine. 
but the force that it created was the way it was described the force it created was like a piece of paper laying in your hand huh. that that was the amount of force um generated by this engine so they're like it works but it's not super effective yet well we're getting there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but man you know that's that's the fun thing about seeing star trek and it kind of kickstarts your imagination of like well maybe this is possible and then you start yes. looking at different spaceships throughout fandoms you look at stuff like the Battlestar galactica you look at the Millennium falcon 2001 yeah absolutely uh you know, sunshine you know where oh, they got wow, yes. they got to go reignite the sun and and the the design of that ship which was very very specific for a very mm -hmm. specific purpose um but yeah all of these things sort of coming together and then you know spoilers for folks who haven't seen season four and five of discovery <laughs> Like you want to talk about some unique ships, like in the distant, distant future. <laughs> I've seen a couple. I have not seen that recent season. <laughs> oh man. Like if you think, if you think the starships in Star Trek are cool now, wait till like discovery season three, man. Okay. Like, Ordinarily I would say that's a bold statement, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Well, because it was, because that was everybody's question was like, okay, if they're going to this specific place, this specific time, things should have progressed. What's it going to look like? And right. I, I think they hit it out of the park. It it looks pretty damn good. Okay. <laughs> I, I, now I'm not an artist. I'm not a designer. Uh, but to the to the layman's uh, person, oh, I'm happy to dish about all the ships in this particular series. I was um quite impressed with um, Discovery, at least when first season watching it um they can only watch the first two so this was fun to go back and, and definitely rewatch. but um you know when they showed the shinzo again i was like oh i forgot how cool that looks man it's kind of like a weird electric razor but or i don't know like an inverted akira class shit. yeah a little bit yeah yeah but i was i was wondering what your thoughts striking. were on like not only the design of the ships, but also uh, the design of a lot of the prosthetics and a lot of the creatures, because that's we mm. get we get a lot of creativity there and a lot of unique looks of people. And of course, we've already, you know, in covering this first chunk of discovery, um, more than one occasion have we sung the praises of Doug Jones underneath oh, yes. all of the makeup and prosthetics Holy and everything cow. that he's doing but yeah let's let's dive into this a little bit more what do you you know let's get a little more specific let's dig deep what do you think of the discoveries design and its crew everything from you know uniforms to the look of some of the unique species what are your thoughts on those okay well my knee-jerk reaction was i actually did laugh i mean you had the thing spinning you know, like an old <laughs> cap. Oh, yeah. From every old school joke you ever have about a Star Trek show, and this thing is actually doing it, and it spins and does it. Yeah. And disappears <laughs> off into wherever land. Yeah. Um, beyond that initial, though, um, it's it, okay. The design of just the opening, the whole trail, the whole opening sequence of the show is just fantastic. Mm. Um, it, it, I don't know. It seems as though as that's where the heart of um, the enterprise show was kind of trying to get yes. get with yeah but you know they were caught up in the early 2000s era so you got what you got 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't mind the, the little jingle, but this seems like kind of like the, 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 the at least the, the next step where they're trying to go with those kinds of intros instead yeah. of your classic overture, um, which I do miss. Don't get me wrong. Definitely an old school fan in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get down to the designs of a lot of these ships, um, I, I thought the Klingon cruisers were a bit overdone comparatively to where they're supposed to progress, but they are intimidating. And that is definitely the point of it. Oh, yeah. in, in, in many, in regardless of how you look at it. Um, so it's, it's always hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. For every species that they've been tackling. Um, matter of fact, that was always the, the, this, just a winning idea for me, at least with discoveries that they nailed the whole. Matter of fact, there's so much going on that you could sit there and just try to pick apart it. You'll miss the whole episode just pointing out how cool every little nook and cranny is. Yeah. Um, that was um, usually one of my biggest criticisms, at least back in like the TNG era, was that everything was super clean because it was mostly a soap opera in space. Pretty much. So at least they they took a lot of the, um, you know, the, the, the mid 2000 movies to heart where it is usable, but still clean looking. Um, so I do appreciate that. I mean, like, you know, you got metal rubbing up on metal in some places. You should be able to see some scratch marks. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think the, uh, what they've done so far in terms of, like you said, making those Klingon ships very intimidating. And I think a lot of that comes from the angle that they've got mm -hmm. the, I mean, I know it's not an actual camera, but I'll just say the camera angle. And again, juxtaposing the smaller Federation ships to these much taller, um, these much taller Klingon ships and then how you position, how you position them usually higher to show just how much it's towering over. And again, to convey that very intimidating presence. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a bit of a trip. It's, and of course, when you get to every one of the species, like it's um sort of the signature of whichever race that you're dealing with. Mm, um mm-hmm. you know the vulcans it's they, they, they are just as logical as their ships and vice versa <laughs> yeah even yeah, in new right. versions too um you know i didn't know that they kind of blew up one um or at least when they show up to the scene i don't want to get too far ahead into the episode um and i also did fanboy out that they did have a worker be in this like i, I feel like such a nerd is like the last time i saw a worker be doing anything was like in one of the movies <laughs> just yeah. sort of bounces off the ship yeah like they use it. He's down there. He's getting off the toilet. Yeah, go on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that single person cockpit of just, uh, you know, being in there. I w- recently talked with um, my executive producer and wife, Kat Davis, and we reminisced about our trip to NASA when we were living in Florida. And they have a section there at Cape Canaveral where they've taken a bunch of old rockets and old um space capsules and Mm -hmm. put them in this area that they call the rocket garden and you can actually they've put some stairs up to them so you can go up and try to fit in one let me tell you my 511 250 pound frame just does not fit into those space capsules there's not a chance of me staying outer space man Yeah. yeah, and it's supposed to be like two or three people in them too. I, I've seen the say, Apollo capsule in person. I, I, was like, I, I, feel, nah. I filled the damn thing. Like, I don't see how they got two or three dudes into that. That's, ugh, I can't imagine. And what if one of them's gassy, you know? 
It wasn't a weekend trip. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some interesting things that happen in this episode that clue us into another side of Star Trek design. You know, uh, it's not a secret. This is kind of the big first glimpse into the mirror universe as we've been covering as we've been covering the chronology the you know the the entire franchise in chron- chronological order mm-hmm. this is our first glimpse like i know enterprise had a, an episode um actually a two-parter i believe they but sure that did. doesn't actually happen till later in the timeline so this is uh, our, yeah this is actually our first glimpse Um, If you're going in chronological order, this is our first glimpse of the Terran Empire and their uniforms and their ships and and how all of that comes to light. Let's talk a little bit about, because you grew up uh, tail end of TOS into TNG. Um, TOS movies too, at that. The movies, of course. So let's talk a little bit about the Prime Universe versus the mirror universe in terms of the look in terms of the design like what do you think about do you like that they go sleeveless <laughs> in tos do you dig the sleeveless look <laughs> i mean well considering how much um physical combat they get into it seems practical for what is worth oh yeah um you, you know what it, it's I, I will sit here and laugh and say it seems like it was a good excuse for you know, the writers and the actors and the crew to just kind of cut away from the norm. Yeah. And you can always tell, regardless of what series is, that's handling the mirror episode, they always have fun with it but uh-huh. for what it's worth. And um, yeah, the design aspects, you know, with the earth and the sword going through it, it's just supreme. Like, I honestly, I would get a, a tattoo of it if, you know, I, I didn't have to answer to wife, but. <laughs> <laughs> you could get it, well. Uh-huh. I might I be able to say you could get it somewhere that you could hide it, but it's man, your wife, man. Nah, yeah, you got to put that on the forearm or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that goes on the forearm for sure. <laughs> I think my only critique about them, but considering how chaotic their universe is in the mirror universe, mm-hmm. um, and also looking at like all these, I, I don't know if they're licensed or unlicensed games that you see on like social media where they're trying to, they usually get like some trek actors to come and help promote it oh, yeah. uh, but every time i see those and they're like and add all this extra armor i'm like that should be in the mirror universe right there like when they get the d and they add all this extra nonsense to it but yeah i could see them having more heavily fortified warships yeah um, <laughs> especially around the neck that, that seemed like that would be a better idea but then again they also not to go spoil anything they kind of haphazardly got better tech which is hence their leap into um taking over a little further the terms that is yeah yeah absolutely i think you know looking at the design um because i approach things from the martial arts perspective i have a martial arts background and i've worn a lot of different types of uniforms and stuff like that um with the idea of like okay this type of uniform promotes a you know different movement in this way if you look at different pants um Mm. just the pants you know bushido uh, pants are huge. They're really, really big. And that's because the idea is you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to see the person's feet because being able to see their feet 
would be an indicator of where and how they're going to move next. So they very true. So they cover use, their feet. Now, as much as I suck in um, basketball, that was one of the first things I was taught to learn was to not pay attention. Well, you can pay attention to the ball, but you want to pay attention to your opponent's feet because you can tell which way they're going to go regardless of what they're doing with the ball. Yeah. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, in terms of what we're, you know, uh, again, going back to martial arts, you know, I always tell people to watch, to watch the box, the box mm. being uh, the line created from shoulder to shoulder and from yep. your shoulders to your hips and basically your waistline. That is the box. And people cannot move without adjusting one of the points or one of the sides of that box. Very true. And if you can, if you learn how to read the box, then you can kind of see, okay, they're going, they're going left or they're going right. You know, and we talked about, we joked a little bit about the sleeveless aspect, but you know what? Uh, You know, the, I think the big, I think the big uh, thing in fandom that a lot of people uh, were back and forth with like, oh, it shouldn't look like that. Actually, it should look like that, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of people get uh, very, have a lot of different opinions about Wonder Woman's outfit, oh. uh, <laughs> which I know it's, it's a weird, it's a weird direction to take this conversation, but. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we can look at this roadside attraction. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> But looking at looking at what Wonder Woman is doing, you know, you want the freedom to move in different directions. She's wielding a sword, so you don't want to get caught in sleeves and stuff like that. And if you're if you're kicking, you want to have it it needs to be flexible to move. And I mean, this might be a little TMI, but like underneath my martial arts uniform, I usually wear bike shorts. Like yeah. Really like really tight, really yep. tight bike shorts. And the first time my wife saw me getting ready for March, she says, what are you wearing? And I was like, babe, I'm about to go and start kicking in the air. Like I, right. I can't wear regular boxers. <laughs> I'll rip them. Like boxers aren't meant to move like that. <laughs> Sweetheart. This is what justice looks like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you, I think you may have just hit the title of this episode i think i may change the title of the episode to awesome. this is what justice looks like <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah um so we've got a lot to dissect with this episode uh, but before we get too much further into it let's get to this week's recap brought to you in part by our patreon supporters rev j jerry antimano cosmic crit kitty b and david willett Alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Where the hell are we? Lieutenant Stamets is non-responsive. Tyler. You have to tell the captain. Did you want all of this to happen? You can't hurt me anymore. Red alert. Shields up. The sensors are recalibrating, star charts are confirmed, but no man-made signals check out, and the Discovery is surrounded by Klingon wreckage. Just then, a Vulcan vessel approaches and starts to fire. Discovery defends itself and gets a hail from what sounds like the USS Cooper. They're told not to worry about the rebels. 
Lorca notes the Cooper is undergoing a refit, making it odd it would be on duty. Saru then confirms they're in a parallel universe. And on that note, we cue the music. wants to examine the data more, but Lorca is focused on just surviving. In sickbay, Tilly talks to Stamets as he is dazed by his condition. Doc Culber is thrown toward the wall hard when he attempts to help Stamets. Tilly apologizes to Culber for keeping Stamets' secret. Lorca arrives and Culber informs him of Stamets' condition. The captain reassigns Culber, citing a conflict of interest. Tyler is sent out to retrieve a Klingon data core from the surrounding wreckage. While holding off another panic attack, he notes the pilot's bodies of the nearby ship are Vulcan and Andorian. Back on Discovery, Tyler confronts Laurel in the brig. This time, he gets flashes of surgeries. Laurel speaks Klingon to him, and he snaps a seemingly programmed response back. Tyler snaps back and runs away, shocked at what happened. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> In the mess hall, Burnham talks to Tyler about his most recent episode. He admits it was worse than before. Burnham wants him to tell the captain, and he says he will, but on his own time. In engineering, Tilly accesses the data core and, interestingly, finds Vulcan technology. Later, Burnham reports Tilly's findings to Lorca, that they're in another universe, one with a Terran empire, the antithesis of their federation. They get a hail from the ISS Cooper. It's a mad dash for enough info to answer it legitimately, so as not to arouse suspicion. Saru believes they switched places with the ISS Discovery, so they won't run into them. I guess. Lorca goes to answer them, but Burnham notes the captain of the ISS Discovery is actually Tilly. She fumbles it a bit until bringing in Lorca as their <clears throat> Scottish chief engineer to explain away the lack of view screen and not needing assistance. Insert montage of Discovery switching uniforms, paint jobs, and hairstyles. Lorca has a plan, based on the info Burnham finds out about their counterparts in this universe, to get them back to the Prime Universe. They must find out how the USS Defiant got into this universe. To do that, Burnham and Lorca will pose as their counterparts and take command of the ISS Shinzu. Saru doesn't like the plan. In medical, Tyler agrees to a deeper scan. Then Stamets yells out, Stay out of the palace! Culber gives him a brief kiss, and Stamets whispers, The enemy is here. Culber finds physical modifications and another personality present in Tyler. He wants to ground him, but Tyler silences him by breaking his neck. <laughs> Tilly takes command of the bridge and hails the Shinzu. Tilly introduces Burnham and Lorca and Danby Connor agrees to change course to them. Burnham and Lorca leave to the transporter room to beam over and are met by Tyler. What's on the, what's on the Shinzu? Lorca is escorted to the agonizer room, though Burnham demands he not be touched except by her. She takes a turbo lift with Connor to the bridge. During the ride, Connor talks about his rise to power and laments that the crew doesn't follow him as they did her. He draws a knife, but Burnham bests him and is forced to kill the counterpart of her former crewmate. 
bridge crew welcomes her and Connor's dead body with a standing O. Burnham and Tyler meet in her quarters. He promises to protect her no matter what. Yeah, right. Back in the agonizer room, Lorca screams with pain. I don't care! Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited to tell you about this. Hey folks, it's your old pal, Mr. Todd A. Davis here from the Computer Resume Podcast. Get ready to boldly go where, well, thousands have gone before. It's TrekFest 38! Yay! June 23rd and 24th in Riverside, Iowa. Hey! Is this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Come enjoy all kinds of free activities for you and your whole family. This year's event will feature Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine, some of the best bands in the area on the Riverside Casino and Golf Resort sponsored main stage, food, drinks, and yours truly will be doing some hosting and emceeing. I'll be upset if you don't come get a selfie with me. For more info about this year's Trek Fest, visit them on Facebook at Riverside Trek Fest or on the web at trekfest.org. That's T-R-E-K-F-E-S-T dot org. Riverside isn't just where the best begins, it's where Trek begins. Now, back to the show. So, yeah, we see a lot of the next step in these characters' journeys. Uh, You know, a big part of it is kind of trying to find out where we are, what we're doing, what's going on. The stars are right, but nothing else is. Like, have you ever been in a situation where you kind of thought you knew what you were getting into and then you got there and it was just like, oh, I recognize some things, but this is not what I had in mind. I'll give you the example, like, I come from a law enforcement background and went through training and went through the academy and graduated Mm. and, you know, got sworn in and the whole thing. I got on the job and I was just like, oh, oh, this is the job. Oh, this, this isn't, no, no, no. This is not what I signed up for. And it was just, I was a fish out of water. Have you ever felt like a fish out of water? Um episodically and uh for quite a few times in my life yes <laughs> most of them when i was younger for sure um i could definitely say that about working at six flags as a teenager there was really um, oh yeah one week one week was all i could do they, they charge you for everything to work there what not to not to put them on blast and mind you this was the 90s um there was the one that's outside of atlanta georgia yeah um they have, we have a rail system that does go out there, but you have to take a special bus from them that costs extra, more than your regular fare to get out there. No, you do not get a pass. Unless if you're driving there and you have to pay for parking to go to your job. That is also a thing. What? I will I... never forgotten. And I'm, mind you, I'm like 16. I'm like, I already don't have money and I'm in a negative working area. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah, well, it, learning lessons right uh, of course yeah <laughs> i've also learned to ask questions before you know saying yeah i want to work here <laughs> oh yeah oh gosh yeah um but you know also got a chance to meet a few people even within that week and um learned about what i was getting into when it came to the working world so wow it was a fun ish situation <laughs> i still remember like all the little passages between like all the rides and stuff so that was fun Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, mean, I abuse it when I go. 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) I remember after the wife and I moved from South Carolina to Florida and I was kind of slowly transitioning out of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I got a job at a local uh, college working security. They didn't have they didn't have any residents, so they didn't need a police force. They just needed security, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's mostly retired cops anyway, just looking for something to do. Sure. So I got on with this uh, this local college where we were living, and it was clear that some of my supervisors um, wished that they were still on the job because they treated it as such. And I was mm-hmm. like we're not cops <laughs> no. you uh, just without giving context because i think the shock will be a little bit better in my interview i sat there and said okay what you've just described is called kidnapping and you just told me that it's okay to kidnap these people <laughs> we're not allowed to do that i know the law enough to know we're not allowed right. to do that um, and I was just like, oh, these people, these people need more help than I could ever hope to give them. <laughs> now, but, I mean, I've done some unscrupulous jobs before that would ask you that, but not a security kid. That's yeah, wild. It was just like, what if we have a problem? Call the police. That's the answer. <laughs> Usually, yes. Call the cops. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, the, the fish out of water type feeling uh has been used many times in storytelling and of course comedies god look at look at a lot of ben stiller type stuff a lot of his stuff is you know comedy of errors but part of it is just kind of you know those fish out of water stories of like Mm -hmm. have you know take this one person and put them somewhere else and watch what happens um but yeah, the, those things are always a lot of fun, you know, in terms of storytelling. I spoke with a professor of theater uh, a few episodes back when we discussed uh, the documentary, The Green Girl, uh, oh, which, yes. which covered the life of Susan Oliver. And we, you know, she also has a background in comedy like I do. And we both came to the conclusion that comedy is hilarious to everyone except who it's happening to. Oh, for sure. That's the only person who doesn't think it's funny. (laughs) More often than not, yes. (laughs) Now, you told me before we started to roll that you had a lot of thoughts about some very specific Mm. aspects of this episode in terms of character interaction or other things. Let's just let's dive right in. Please lead us through your thoughts about this episode of Discovery. Okay, because I was working on at least a couple pieces, but I did pay attention. I was like, okay, I'll put this down for a moment. I haven't seen it in a few years, so let's really go through this. Yeah. Um, I had a few mental notes. I re- it's one of those I'm trying to remember versus my former self when we first watched this. Right. To make sure that we're still kind of somewhat in line. Yeah. I believe I'm a lot nicer about some of my criticisms. I don't want to be one of those trickies, trekkers that can't seem to like anything new. Um, that's fair however <laughs> I, it's hard to, to to talk about burnham without sounding horribly judgmental versus the character that was made okay elaborate on that well okay the whole mutiny thing mm-hmm. yeah, i i get through the power of writing 
that a lot of the Starfleet characters are willing to let it go. But usually they have such a strong moral compass. It seems as though it's, it would be a lot harder for her to like reestablish any kind of career. But I get that it's like, again, a series that going throughout the series. Um, she seems to kind of just luckily work her way back out of prison all the way up command, which you very rarely see. And I kind of take, at, at least my point of view of seeing it from that lens was, um, and, and, and not to, to lean too heavy on older properties, but um, let's say Cisco versus um, Eddington. Okay. And I'm, I'm sure if you remember him, um, he was a, um, like the first was a couple seasons. He worked as an engineer that was on DS9. And usually he was kind of like a, a background player, but they slowly started giving him more and more and more. Right. Um, but eventually he did defect along with anybody else that kind of went to the Maquis. Mm -hmm. But you can see like this true disdain when it usually comes down to um, Starfleet um, um, officers versus people who go against, I don't, I don't know, I guess the, the code or whatever oath that you've taken. Right. And they're not terribly forgiving, even that much further into the future um, for somebody trying to get a second chance. Like you have to like save the galaxy two times over to really start winning a lot of those characters back. Um, but again, that was one of my original takes on Burnham. And I was like, okay, still she was, um, she's surgical with her decisions. Yeah. And I think that's what really lent towards this working out. Um, but also did happen. It, it, and and um, excuse me, let me put another pause on this. Um, this particular episode was kind of a turning point when I was watching the series. Mm -hmm where I was wondering where the show was actually going because it's kind of lighthearted and whimsical. You're still figuring out the whole mycelium network and they get in a couple of episodic things. Uh, you know, Lorca's up to something because he's kind of sneaky, sneaky. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole, um, oh God, what was that old movie? Um, the, the, the one where he was um, on, on, on Event Horizon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you used to remember that. So it was like, we add in the kind of spooky nature of that. And he really does look like he kind of slipped out of that movie in a backwards way and made it into this. And it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll just take over this universe. While I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the actor, he, he just nailed that. Um, Jason Isaacs so is a Jason really Isaac. good actor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Like, yes, he is. Um, I would like to see him play the doctor too, but that's a whole nother conversation. Oh mm, yeah. Think about it. We're going to save that for the after show. <laughs> <laughs> but as it goes, um, with all those events that were kind of swirling around, I could see how Burnham can make her way back out of that into all of this. I was still a little hesitant about season two. But when we get to the point where they get to the mirror universe, um, and I do remember being doggedly excited, figuring it out as they're saying it. They're like, no, the stars look right. I'm like, mirror universe. Uh, Sorry, what about this? That, that signature was like, there's another universe. <laughs> this is a whole time yelling back at the screen. So um, it was definitely a treat. And this was also one of the few times where, since this particular series was, uh, they're not episodic, we're destined to have a story with the mirror universe that's not throwaway. And that was something I really appreciated about all of this, was that they were actually sticking to their guns. It's not going to just be uh, one and done, never reference it again. These things matter. And it's always nice to see. And when you run into a lot of that with, um, especially in Voyager, where some of their best episodes are just, you know, you wash it away with time or wrong universe, paintbrush, and right. never right. again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. It's, it's um, 
I, I was really happy about that. Now, my biggest drawback, though, was the whole Tyler thing and the, I guess you could call it a face-off kind of story arc that they were doing with him. A little bit, yeah. I was I was on the fence. It's like there's there's a lot of techno battle you guys are throwing around to try to really layer this on and make it work, mm-hmm. pun intended. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm over here, I'm like, well, you know, he should have at least like a leatherhead looking face by now if you're like kind of shoving in a Klingon skull into that, <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> But I'll be nice. And they're like, well, they broke every bone in his body. Like, it leads me to like another kind of tangent thought about, you know, me and my friends, we used to always argue about if, um, you know, Klingons, they had a very militaristic um, society. Yeah. And typically because, you know, you're dealing with Starfleet and they're their own organization, they would run it to said other organization. So you typically didn't see too many Klingons outside of working for the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly they have to have like, you know, medicine um, and scientists that are creating all their other stuff. Yep. But then it kind of brings up the point of how good are their surgeons? Yeah. Yeah. They did that. Yeah. That's, that's impressive because at this point, the cosmetic surgeries and stuff that happen even mm-hmm. I, I, cause I think they did a co- cosmetic surgery to Kirk to make him look Romulan if I'm yes. not if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then it happened all the time on TNG. I think everybody got at oh, least replicators were just yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the best writing tool of all time. But I think, you know, taking a look at what they're doing here, I, I do kind of wish there was a deeper dive into the Klingon society where we get to see, okay. Yes, they have surgeons. Yes, they have lawyers. We actually get to see a Klingon lawyer defend Jonathan Archer back in mm. Enterprise. And right. pretty well, honestly. Um, but I got to wonder with how the psychology that is ingrained in seemingly every Klingon, do they approach lawyering? Do they approach surgical techniques mm-hmm. with the same fervor and tenacity of a Klingon warrior? Or is there some sort of like, is there, is there a cooking show where, <laughs> where a Klingon just takes every, everything that they're going to eat and just literally smashes it on a table oh. and go, and that's how you prepare gawk and then just eats it. Exactly. <laughs> And then we take this animal, slam their head on the thing, and they're dripping blood. Okay, this is how you drink the blood. And sure, that's most their, of their cooking. Yeah. <laughs> most of their cooking shows are have to at least be the first half of it is just a hunt of yeah, whatever yeah. you're going to eat. Oh, man. Okay, that's a that's definitely a SNL skit waiting oh, to happen. For sure. Uh, the great Klingon baking show where it's, <laughs> it's structured exactly like the regular uh, great British baking show. But it's all Klingons. <laughs> I would love to see that. Oh man! So, uh, anything mm-hmm. else in terms of? I know you mentioned uh, Tyler in the Worker Bee. Uh, oh yes, you have some thoughts about that, that. Was that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. We don't normally see the Worker Bee outside of, if I'm not mistaken, some of the old movies. Usually, when they're in Starbuck, you'll see like a couple kind of zipping around, but um actually on the ship in a functional use besides um looking at it and stuff like um you know like a source book of some sort 
And I'm, you're as big a nerd as I am. I'm sure you have the technical schematics of at least a D. Uh, I hate to say it. Nope. Oh, I sure don't. Well, I'm telling my age. Now, I'm, see, I'm here's the thing. Age. I've got the Klingon <laughs> dictionary. Oh, okay. So you got I've me got, I've got the Ferengi <laughs> rules of acquisition. Ooh. But I don't have the technical manuals. Not yet. Not yet. Mm. They are they are on my list though. <laughs> I could tell you how many times I was daydreaming at 10 years old to see the, the saucer section have to slide out on the ground. They show the whole mapping of it, came up with in like 85 or something. Like yeah. Yeah, it was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good on the writers from you know actually paying attention to their own source material. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God, I mean, I don't know if you've ever sort of explored some of the stuff out there about how how the show from a production standpoint is set up uh i know i've mentioned it on the show here um more than once but there is a great article that came out from wired magazine Hmm. that initially was kind of like hey here's a day on the set of i think it was voyager at the time but based on what the author experienced in that time there on the set, the article quickly changed to how to write for Star Trek. And Interesting. yeah, it is a fascinating look at mm. attention to detail, not only with their scientific consultants, which is, which is kind of cool that that's a, that's an option for the NASA folks after they retire, you can just go work on Star Trek. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, that was but, a big promotional pushback when TNG started that I do remember. Oh yeah. Uh, that was like every other, I mean, there was like three or four specials, if I'm not mistaken, where they had like some astronaut, they were going through, you know, the set and whatnot and trying to explain that, well, yeah, this is mostly right. So <laughs> watch the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, looking at those types of things, it's always a blast to see how all that stuff comes about. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at, like I said, the attention to detail in terms of the science and technology, but also looking at the attention to detail for established canon. Yes. Of, you know, certain characters are going to do certain things because of x y and z that have been established over decades that is incredibly daunting as a creative person myself who Mm -hmm. hopes to eventually uh put out some stuff in the star trek universe you have to do so much research before you even get to a starting point not to mention like as you progress through you got to make sure all your elements jive with the canon that has been established over as we are talking almost 60 years like that's 60 crazy. years of writing jenga like yeah. just stacked on top of itself oh yeah. my god what a perfect analogy i i hope you don't mind if i steal that oh, that no, is please. wonderful <laughs> um, but in terms of the design like you said the you know the technical manuals you really get to see some sort of this intricate technical creativity like when you sit down to work on a piece, mm-hmm. a new piece, like what are the steps you take and how meticulous are you with that piece to create this image that ends up being your final product? Wow. That's an excellent question that I've never really put a thought to. <laughs> um, well, I've um, worked in many different mediums, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to find a 
most direct way. Um, I try to take it for what the assignment is calling for. Usually, I'm, I'm used to doing art for people just in general. I've been doing um, just mostly portraits and worked in comics. Um, but I do actively recall when I um, decided to go against the first rule of being an artist about going to art school. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, but I did have a <laughs> well, professor in illustration. He would always say that the whole point of illustration is that you need to be able to have the viewer um, recognize what it is that you're trying to convey to them without words, regardless of the style that you decide to go with. Yep. Um, I mean, you can draw a blue banana, but if it looks like a blue banana and that's what's being conveyed, then there you go. You just nailed the assignment. Um, and, and that's... And that def definitely does help when you're getting into um, just larger pieces of, um, I, I don't know if you want to call this content, but when you get into like stuff like Trek, um, there is definitely a look and a motif that needs to be adhered to, even when you're adding upon it. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, it's a, a whole bunch of um, research that you got to definitely do. And I imagine even with um, any of the new art designers that have to come and sit down, they it would behoove them to at least look at some old designs. <laughs> they don't necessarily have to do them, um, but it's always good to revisit them. Um, now, speaking just from doing art in itself, um, visually speaking, you know, I, the, the, the meticulous part is getting whatever materials that I'm using together and making sure that I have everything so I can do it in one shot or however long the progression is supposed to take. Yeah. Um, and that's really about it. But outside of that, it just kind of jump in and just sort of find your way through the woods of it all yeah. until you come up for breathing and you're like, oh, okay, well, this is starting to look like something. And, you know, you might have to ask your, your wife or your girl, you're like, hey, honey, come and check this out. You're like, oh, that's I'm not going to put it on the fridge. I'm like, okay, so I'm not done. <laughs> we'll keep going. Yeah, I think, you know, the story that comes to mind is Kevin Smith working on daredevil with hmm. joe quesada back in right. the day um and that that run you know kevin smith and joe quesada's run on daredevil was a, a really great uh really great point for for the character in the development over the years but when you go and read those first few issues you see the wordiness of kevin smith and how much of a detriment it was in the overall end result. Because mm. Joe Quesada is no slouch. He's a, he's nope, a he's really not. good artist and has been working in comics for years and years and years. But the story goes that Joe went to Kevin and said, hey, you want to leave me some room to draw a picture or two? Like, because I mean... A you know oh a gosh. standard a standard story arc for folks who don't know okay for folks who don't know a standard comic book is roughly twenty two pages twenty two to twenty four yes twenty two to twenty four you're absolutely yes. right twenty two to twenty four pages and a story arc is generally six issues four to six is the standard but See, and I wasn't going to correct you with that and that's dead on yes four to six issues is it's, the average yeah four to six. Uh, with six being the standard that Kevin Smith is so wordy that his story arc was eight issues. That's how much he, that's how much story he put in. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a lot of story to crank out. Writing, writing a comic book is hard enough. Drawing the book is even harder because, you know, 
for an for a writer to sit at a at a keyboard and type out the story mm-hmm. you type it out and it's done you know it might go through yeah. some edits you cut copy paste you know you move things around you delete stuff and you're done that's your first draft your second draft you're done but the artist then has to arrange those words and possibly adhere to art direction and get all of that to fit on one piece of paper. Man. <laughs> that is that is a tall, tall order because not only are they having to craft that on one piece of paper, but that piece of paper has to look consistent with the next 21 to 23 other pieces of paper <laughs> that sure are gonna com- that are gonna comprise that one issue of that comic. And then when they're done, they have to do it again for next month. So one second i gotta put an addendum here you have just described literally an argument myself and a writer my my ex-roommate and good friend brian no i did not lead him on to say oh any of this (laughs) (laughs) but i I actively recall him writing a a, a, we were doing a a web comic for a while there and it was like just a single page um, but we were doing it weekly and he did this whole one page, mind you, so it's supposed to be six panels, but it's a whole, um, I don't know if it was an argument or uh, you have two characters at a comic convention trying to negotiate something like a Mark 78 Iron Man suit. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. A lot of dialogue. Yeah. And I'm trying to work art into this because it's like, I think at one point I was just told, man, I'm going to just post your script and we're just going to keep going because <laughs> I can't draw around what you're trying to tell me. And figure out how to draw Iron Man the night ahead that this is supposed to be due. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it's you know, I I think that because I know my first book, um, Adventures on Earth with uh, the first Adventures on Earth with Adam and Steve, I was working with an artist who was not mm. familiar with the medium. Mm. She came from visual art, creating mm. a single piece. Now she liked comics. Um, but I had to kind of, you know, when she gave me the first panels for the first strip, when she gave them back to me, they looked great right? in and of themselves individually, but together it doesn't, it didn't work. And I had to go and explain why. Yes. Design theory. Yeah. It's a, it's a different, it's a different thing. I remember walking around and at one point uh, I had written a script and I was shopping it around at a convention to different artists. And I found an artist whose style I liked. So I started in with the pitch. And the first thing, the first thing you got to ask, do you do sequential? Because I remember looking at this artist's work, which was stellar, and they were obviously very competent to make the things that they were making. But I asked them one question, do you do sequential? And they acted like I told them that they're going to have to give a televised speech to the world. They started to literally shrink in their chair and they were just like, no, 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 no. I was like, like, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, that's fine. You're going to be fine. That may, that might mean we don't work together, but that's okay. You're a, you're a good artist and a, and a good person. <laughs> but you know that's that's a big deal. Like being oh, able yeah. to do being able to do a cover is actually closer to what most artists start out doing. But being able to do interiors, being able to do 
sequential yes, 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 is yes. a different ball game altogether. And it's very intense. Yeah. Very and being intense. able to being able to um incorporate dialogue into visual art is mm-hmm. not is not for the faint of heart. It is mm-hmm. done. There are so many times that I've seen, I mean, I just mentioned Kevin Smith and, and Joe Quesada. Mm-hmm. That is one of hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of issues of books that I open them up and they just don't work. I'm mm. they, and I'm I don't it's easy to be like, oh, that's a lot of independent stuff or stuff like that. Mm. No, I'm talking Marvel DC. There's yeah. Marvel and DC stuff where I've opened it up, opened it up and go, where was the editor? Like, <laughs> like yeah, who, who is in charge of this? Because it it does not work on the page. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of those things about, and I'll speak as a writer, one of those things that is so hard to um come to terms with is the editing process mm. where I've written this beautiful monologue for this character, you know, this big, huge, inspiring speech. We don't have room on the page for it. You're going to have to cut it, you know, you're, yep. and you start cutting it down. You, you start whittling away at it. And then you come to the realization of, oh, the whole thing has to go. <clears throat> There's a lot of people who can't come to terms with that sort of thing, which is why their project dies. Because yeah. they they can't they can't oh, reconcile that hey you got to change it to fit what you're trying to do to accomplish your goal you have to do the things that you need to do to accomplish your goal if you're unwilling to do them it's not going to happen <laughs> and the weight of the anxiety that's more than a car easily yeah. like just hard to live yeah. once you get yourself to that point that absolutely true and um, you know not to mention. And and I swear we're we're going to get back to Star Trek in a few minutes, folks. I, I promise. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got me but, talking shop now. Right, right. <laughs> but you know, when you look at something like like an independent book where you don't have an editor, you don't have an right. art director, you don't have uh, an editor in chief to sort of make the final decisions. It's the artist. It's the writer. And it's the two of you have to figure it out. Or sometimes the one of you. Or sometimes just the one. Like I was going to steer clear of like artist illustrators because I don't know how those people do those things. <laughs> um, long nights. Man, man, it's it's a slog. It's it's like running a gauntlet sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've done. I, I can't say I've done a lot in that regard. I did do back in like, I think it was 08 or something. Wow, I'm starting to feel old. Just saying, even back in 08. Um, I don't know if you ever heard. But at one point, they were trying to do this 24-hour comic book um, where you, in 24 hours, you make 24 pages. Yeah. And as you were just explaining how daunting of a task that is. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody, I think they were like posting that where it was comic uh, shops and some universities. Yeah. Um, I went down to SCAD to, to join in a one. Um I'm glad I had my best friend at the time drive me because getting back after hour 23, I was just completely just on another planet. Um, But I was proud to say that I finished it. Wow. Just as, as, yes, just as, just to prove the point. Um, I went to SCAD where they just had their their brand new, um, 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 their building where they're actually doing um, sequential design. 
That was oh. state of the art at the time. I was so jealous. I'm like, man, I'm with the college of the world time. But <laughs> you know, I was shot the breeze with some of the professors for a minute. Um, and they were showing telling me, you know, showing me some of the students that were like worked up in groups of like threes and fours. And you know, everybody was gung-ho going into this at the beginning. Um, and one of them asked me, well, what were you planning to do? And I was like, look, I had to break it down mathematically. I'm talking, this is 24 pages. Um, roughly, okay, if you're not going to just do a single page, it's just like a whole splash page, which would be my giveaway somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Because um, you got to lead up to something like that. And that's got to be a spectacular, beautiful splash page. Yeah. Beyond that, though, we're talking about four to six panels per page. So roughly, I had to do four panels per hour in order to something like to get to the whole thing. But when you get yourself inside that, that creative flow, um, you'll get it done a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But unlike everybody else, I went to the super old school Stan Lee method where I was just going to draw it and I'll write everything on the back end. Ooh. And it was just about, I think it was about like a duck and some girl that are fighting a blob monster in a, in a, um, in a subway. That, that was the whole book. Wow. Them, and yeah, he had laser beams. Again, by the time you're like 20 hours into this, everything sounds like a good idea and you don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it was horrible. I'll never see the light of day, but it was so much fun to do. And I just love having the, the bragging rights for that because no one else in that university finished. Not a single one of them. Most of those kids tapped out around hour 18. Um, there was a few who came real close. I think they made it up to like 20 pages, but it was a lot of arguing and infighting. Oh, man. Because <sighs> yeah. I mean teamwork, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're discussing comics, you know, from from the independent point of view, which mm-hmm. mo- more often than not is a writer and an artist. For sure. That writer has, has to convey to this artist and the writer, the writer creates the story once that artist is going to have to create that story four times, roughly best case scenario. Yep. Cause we're talking layouts, pencils, inks, colors. Uh, well, ink, uh, let's see layouts, pencils, pencils inks, flats, colors, and then, and then lettering. So we're already up to six. <laughs> Thank God for the iPad. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's if you're not going to touch it up digitally. Right. So, you know, to give, to give these kids like, Hey, we're going to do 24 hour comic, you know, okay. Did you pair with somebody from the English department to write a cohesive story? No. Are you working in groups of five or more, <laughs> like so that everybody has a job? Are we starting in shifts? Like, exactly. right? <laughs> there's a lot. Like, you know, it's my roommate Steve, and you know his friend that got on a couch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's you know I challenge anybody. <laughs> like, if you think comics are easy, go to your local comic book store, pick up an issue of something, doesn't matter what, and open that front cover and count all the names that are involved. Exactly. It is a lot more than you think. <laughs> and if you see it where it says one or two people specific and that's all they did, go shake their hand at a convention. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And not to mention, like, if you want to take it a step further, go Google each one of those people and read their resumes and see mm. and see all the different credentials that came before this 22 to 24 page book that you're holding. 
Um, you know, so when it, so again, to bring it back to Star Trek, there are so many more moving parts. Yes. In a single episode of Star now, Trek. You mentioned the whole having to adhere to, uh, to the canon. Yeah. And, you know, it was just funny because a thought crossed my mind when they were like, all right, we got to make it look like we belong in this universe. All right, let's, um, you know, let's try to sweep up around here a little bit and uh, let's change our logos around. And, OK, let's try to find some new clothes. I'm like, you guys don't have a replicator. What are you doing? Is there a whole like floor where there's just nothing but seamstress? What's going on, guys? I mean, I'll believe you guys have an art department. Maybe there's two guys off in the back. Fine. <laughs> But you guys did like an awesome job cleaning up your house party before everybody else shows up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, they they got that together pretty quickly. Now, I think at one point, and I think we may have even seen it already, I want to say the episode starts on a close-up, on an extreme close-up of the uniform being created. And it is sort mm. of it is sort of a replicator. It's it's it's, it's kind of like um it, it's a sequence that starts like Fight Club, you know, where they start ah. on the fear center of the brain and they pull out. So it's something like that. So they don't, while they don't specifically say that they have a replicator, it's kind of implied that we have something like a replicator. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you make a good point. Like I'm just saying, have you ever worked at a sign shop? I mean, come on. We, look, guys, we have this logo. We need um, it printed for the hull of our ship. Yeah. in 35 minutes that's, oh you're insane thank you that's, <laughs> take the the job. Part, that's the part that's most impressive to me is okay let's assume that they can make the uniforms the badges <laughs> all of that stuff and change their hair to you know to do all that that's that's understandable but you had drones ready to go scrape the U off of the ship and put an I so that it looks exactly right. Like you had cosmetic detailing for your ship on board and ready to go. Come on. <laughs> you know, when, when we see stuff like that in an episode and, you know, we look at all the different moving parts and everything that is involved in the creation of one of these episodes good or bad success or failure we have to ask the question lovingly who do we blame so this episode was written by sean cochran uh he was born august 2nd 1986 he is younger than us uh, mm. uh from shaker heights ohio he's an ohio boy oh, so, okay. well, yeah, he's not ohio so Cool to that. Yeah. His wife first was so with me for saying that. Yeah, yeah. Well, my <laughs> my wife's from Jackson, Ohio. So <laughs> ah, fair enough. <laughs> so uh his uh Sean's first credit was as a PA on Lipstick Jungle for 13 episodes. Everybody's mm -hmm. gotta start somewhere. True. Uh his first writing credit was as a staff writer for a little show called Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> his uh first of 42 episodes. Uh, was season one, episode two, Battle of the Binary Stars, which we discussed with former Green Girl, Menina Fortunato, back on episode 88. Uh, and But this is his first written by credit in the franchise. Oh. So oh, he's been God. behind the scenes, you know, tightening up scripts here and there as a staff writer. But this is the first one with his name, with his name on that front page. Um, direct Now, this episode was directed by I believe it's Jonathan Fracas. Is it Fracus? is it Fracas? Hmm. 
Maybe maybe Frakes is it Frakes? Has he heard of Star Trek at all? I don't <laughs> I don't, is he a, is he has he been involved in Star Trek before? Um, I don't know. They just throw anybody onto us. Yeah, the, God, they'll man, they'll hand this show to anybody. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> uh, of course, you know, legendary two takes Frakes. Uh, he was born August 19, 1952, uh, from Belafonte, Pennsylvania. Uh, his Oof. first his first credit was 90 episodes of The Doctors from 1963, playing a, a role, a uh, character named Tom Carroll. I think that was somewhere along the lines of oh. a, uh, well, let's see, he was born in 52, so 63, he's 10, 11 years old. Yeah. So he must, but 90 episodes. So he was on there for a while. Um, Yeah. He must've played one of the lead characters, kids or something like that. Uh, But he was a day player uh, for a big chunk of his career starting out until he got to 11 episodes of bare essence from 1983. And then the Mm. following year he would do 11 episodes of paper dolls and then he'd do 11 episodes of Falcon Crest in 19. 19- Falcon's Crest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Falcon I thought he was only young and restless, but I guess no. Hmm. Now that, yeah, those soaps, sense. man, they, they, they all kind of look the same. They all kind of sound yeah. the same. But yeah, Falcon Crest was a special one for some folks. Uh, but beginning in 1987, he would portray Commander William Riker on a little show called Star Trek The Next Generation for 176 legendary episodes. Uh, but that is also where he got his first gig in the director's chair on season three episode 16 the offspring and that's where data actually creates his daughter oh, no. yeah. yeah which is kind of fun in the light in light of picard uh you know coming mm. about with data's daughter and the implications of you know the past resurfacing in picard uh this is that's an interesting thing to see kind of come full circle for that so that was pretty cool but but in terms of the chronology this is jonathan frakes's first work in the chronology if you're going in chronological order let me let me me make sure let me make that clear (laughs) (laughs) uh but then in terms of guest stars we've got mr sam vartholomis uh as dan b connor um he was born february 8th 1995 just a baby uh, from Queens, New York. Uh, his first credit was season two, episode two of Bull, available now on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, the first two episodes of Discovery were shortly after that in 2017, of course, playing Danby Connor. Uh, but this is his last appearance in the franchise. We saw him eat it. So that's it. 86, Danby Connor. Um, but I guess... Why you don't since, fight people in the elevator, man. Right. You know, but... So I started thinking about this. We saw we saw the mirror universe Danby Connor die. Did we see what happened to Danby Connor in the prime universe? Did he die in the prime she, universe? She said that he died in the Shinzo. Okay. Okay, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, is. yeah, because they went to war and everything. Yeah, right. okay. Yeah, that must have happened. She was getting a little twitchy around him for a moment. Right, right. Uh, but his most recent work is 12 episodes of Bridge and Tunnel from 2021, playing the character Jimmy Farrell. Uh, so, Senseiha, thank you so much for coming in and sitting with me, nerding out with me about Star Trek Discovery. Um, 
but we before we go, we always ask the question, is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting and watching Star Trek for the very first time and they come to this episode, is this an episode that they have to watch or could they skip it? Definitely couldn't skip it. So if you made it this far into Discovery, um, I I would tell anybody, yeah, just finish it out. This this is actually where, in my opinion, it gets better. It was already good, Mm -hmm. but it does improve upon itself. Yeah, I, I'm going to echo that as well. I think between character moments, uh, you know, us seeing Burnham's journey of rediscovery, uh, we are seeing Tyler on the cusp of discovering who he truly is. We are seeing Lorca about to let everybody else discover who he is. And we are discovering the mirror universe for the first time, um, you know, I've said it before with Star Trek Discovery being the first truly serialized Star Trek show, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to skip an episode. There's yeah. there's very few true bottle episodes. You right. kind, it's a water cooler show. So you oh, kind of have to watch all of it. But I think they've done a really great wow. job of consistently raising the stakes. And and keeping these characters in this world very intriguing. They are multi-layered and we just continue to peel this onion and we get more and more and more. So I'm I'm on board for it. And I thank you for uh for coming on and uh talking and nerding out with me about Star Trek and comics. And we're gonna do a little bit more of that in the after show. So oh, sure. uh Patreon supporters. Stick around for more nerdy goodness. Uh, before we go, Sensei Ha, any parting thoughts before we start to wrap it up? Any parting thoughts about the episode, the uh, series, the franchise, your experience on the Computer Resume podcast? Parting thoughts before we wrap it up. Well, this has been a treat. Thank you again. I appreciate the opportunity. Pleasure's um, mine. I also appreciate the opportunity of rewatching some of this again, too. Um, my hat is off to you for attempting this wild rewatch of all of this in order. I I don't know if I can tell you if I won a lotto today and I had nothing to do with the rest of my life. I don't know if I can make it through that big of a run. (laughs) I'd have to take some breaks. I did it with Dragon Ball, um, the entire series. I I illegally downloaded them a long time ago and yeah, watched 500 some odd episodes of the entire thing. Absolutely absurd. I should have did a podcast, but (laughs) here we are. So, yeah, you got yourself uh, uh, definitely a a fun ride ahead of you. Oh, yeah. But uh, this is is a lot of fun. Thank you. We appreciate um, it. For sure. For sure. And I definitely look forward to it. And if you want to have me back again, I'm happy to do so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, folks, prepare yourself for the Inquisitor from down under. I don't think that actually rhymes. Next week. We will be joined by creator, host of the Star Trek Trivia Game Show podcast, Trexpert's Quiz, Davey Willett, will be here to discuss Discovery Season 1, Episode 11, The Wolf Inside, which is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Sensei Ha, what are you doing with your art? Where can people find it online? Where can people find it in person? Where can they support you? Well, I am currently rebuilding. By the time you have this out, I should have uh, senseiha.com back up. So you can 
see all my artwork there. Um, you can easily find me on Instagram or TikTok. I'm not a big fan of TikTok, but I do have stuff there. Um, sensei underscore ha, S-E-N-S-E-I underscore H-A. Simple enough. But I'm just trying to get as much creativity back onto the world. That's awesome. And, where and where where can people uh, bother you directly online? Um, they, it's probably easiest to be Instagram at this point. Um, there are definitely a lot of work with a lot of other artists, and we're just collaborating on different projects. Um, currently, there is a um, ongoing art challenge. Um, I want to say it's um, Pounce Punk Twenty Three. It's a hashtag. A lot of indie artists in the country that just joined in. Um, I've paired up with another artist where he's in a very odd and inexplicable reason he decided to do a whole comic book out of this whole thing and so every day is a different art prompt um and that's a complete shout out to um oh my gosh that's my homeboy at delighted ghost studio so i've been doing a lot of the coloring for his comic um this is the second time he's done this he i hope he doesn't burn himself out but it's a very funny read <laughs> Nice. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We've probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?